Well, praise God. Remain standing, please, for just a minute. Uh, boy, I love Brother Marshall. I had the, the privilege to uh, serve with him uh, in the Nederland campus for about 15 years, and that man is, uh, is so dear to my heart. And I just love thinking that he gets to worship uh, not just with Jesus and the angels, which is pretty good, but he gets to worship with all of our Triumph Church campuses all at the same time. Isn't that awesome? That's something I've never had the pleasure to do, is to worship with the whole family of Triumph Church together. And so that's awesome. We're excited um, about him being with Jesus, just passing in to receive his reward. And so we're glad uh, for that. Our hearts are grieving. Of course, his fingerprint is on every, every piece of every Triumph location in all of our hearts. Um, but he's not lost. We know exactly where he is. We didn't lose him. We know exactly where he is. He's with the Lord. He's in the presence of Jesus. And he's right here telling us, come on, Triumph, worship a little more. Worship a little stronger. Live a little stronger. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Well, I'm honored to be here and just to be able to fill in for your pastor as he's uh, helping the family and just you know, being who Pastor Randon is in such a great way. Uh, I do want to do something, if you'll indulge me for a minute. I want to take a picture with you uh, because I love you and you look really good today. And I'd love to take one with each one of you, but I can't. So I'm going to do something before we get into the Word. We're going to get real spiritual in just a minute. Uh, but right now, we're not going to be spiritual, okay? We're going to take a selfie. Will you take a selfie with me? Okay. So I'm going to see if I can get you. I'm going to have to turn it like this. All right. Everybody lean in. You know how everybody says that, right? <laughs> you know what? I'm going to do a video instead of a selfie, okay? That way I can get everybody. And I'm just going to say, uh, I'm just going to take a picture of who you are. Yeah, glad to see Triumph Beaumont today. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> Greatest church in Southeast Texas North. Woo! Did you see I had to make an exception there because if not, uh, the Nederland Church will be mad at me too. So you're the greatest church in the north part of southeast Texas. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Pastor Christine couldn't be with us today. She and the kids had to fly back to Washington, D.C. on Saturday, uh, yesterday. And uh, is yesterday, what is today? Today's Sunday. Okay. She flew back on Friday. I don't even know what day it is. Uh, but she's preaching at Triumph DC this morning. So that's great. And uh, I don't know if you're aware, but right now we're worshiping together. Triumph Church in Nederland is worshiping Jesus, loving on God together. Your family there. Right now in Sugarland, Stafford, Southwest Houston, there's a whole congregation of people that's your family that you may have never met that's worshiping together. Just north of here in Humble, in Humble, I said Humble, Humble in Houston. There's a great church called New Covenant Church that came right out of this house that's worshiping Jesus with about 1,500 other people this morning. There's one just north of that in the woodlands, pastored by Frankie Mazapika, that came out of this house of triumph that's worshiping Jesus with another 1,000 plus in the woodlands. But don't stop there. There's a great church in Jasper, Texas, with Pastor Gary Marshall that came right out of this house. I was with Bishop Clark when he, when he said after the tragic death of James Byrd 20 years ago, he said, we've got to go to Jasper, Texas, and we've got to bring people together. 
And so I was his assistant at that time, and we started a campaign and rented billboards. You did, Triumph Church. You may not even know it because you may not have been here then. Started a campaign called Let the Healing Begin. We flooded Jasper, Texas with signs of racial reconciliation with a black hand and a white hand coming together saying, let the healing begin. We hosted rallies and pastors' gatherings. And out of that, they said, we've got to have a Triumph-type church in Jasper, Texas. So we laid hands on Pastor Gary Marshall and sent him up there. And now they've got the largest church in Jasper, the only fully multicultural, multi-generational church in Jasper, Texas. You may not know it because you worship right here, but there's a church in Vicksburg, Mississippi with three services all worshiping Jesus right now who are all a part of the house of Triumph Church. There's one down in Rosenberg that came out of this house that's meeting right now with several hundred other people that are worshiping because of the faithfulness of Triumph Church that began just 24 miles south of here. If I were to tell you all the different places that Triumph's represented, there's a man of God that that was raised in this house that's in Pearland, Texas, Pastor Tyrone Lane, that's got a church right in Pearland, Texas because of Triumph Church right here. And right now, because we're on Eastern time, they're just about to finish up Triumph Church in Washington, D.C. Because of you, because of your faithfulness, because of this house, because of this region, your fingerprint is all over the nation. The greatest part of heaven for me outside of Jesus is not to get to see Peter but to meet my other Triumph family that I didn't know from other campuses and other locations all over the nation because of your faithfulness. And so just to echo what Pastor Brandon was saying, I know we'll take up the offering at the end. This is not an offering appeal, but I'm just telling you, when you give, you don't give to Triumph Church, but you give through Triumph Church. Because the resource that you invest is funneled all over the place and you're able to make a difference, not just here in Beaumont, not just in Nederland or Sugarland or whatever, but you're able to touch even our nation's capital where we are right now. And so I'm honored to be with you today. We'll get to the word in just a minute. I want to give you a quick update. You know, Garth, uh, Garth a man named Garth said once that he had friends in low places. And uh, in Triumph, uh, in Washington, D.C., we've got some friends in low places. We also have some friends in high places. And your influence, when God sent us through this house to Washington, D.C., your influence is reaching some of the most powerful and influential people in our nation. And it's working. It's bringing good about in our nation. Just in our small church, just about three and a half years old, uh, we have two members of our church, born-again, spirit-filled, Bible-believing, powerful Christians who personally work, not just in the White House, not just in the executive office, but personally deal with POTUS, the President of the United States, and his family every single day. And they're walking through that White House leaking, just leaking the Holy Spirit all over that place. We've got people who work for senators and congressmen who are just standing there. Guess what? They're a part of Triumph Church. And they're making a difference. And they're influencing people who have influence. We've got people on the right and people on the left. Somebody shout amen. Amen. (laughs) Because God's not affiliated with a political party. Right? We've got people who love Jesus in every facet of influence that you could think of because of you. Because of what you've done in obedience and faithfulness. And so I just want to say thank you 
uh, for all of that. I want to remind you just to pray for us. We're in Washington, D.C., and I want you to pray for us. Pray for our church, Triumph D.C. Pray that God would continue to open doors of great influence. Pray that God would bring renewal to our nation. Don't you know we need you to be united as a people? There's no political party, no president, nobody can do that but the Spirit of God. I want to tell you to do two other things. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to bless Washington, D.C. Look at somebody and say, bless it. Listen, don't call it a swamp. Don't say we're going there to drain the swamp. Don't say we're going in the swamp. It's a city that God loves full of people that are made in his image. Listen, don't let this political garbage get on you. We're a part of a higher party, the party of the kingdom of God. And we bless, we do not curse. We speak things that aren't as though they are. And we talk about how things will be and should be under the influence of God's kingdom, not how we see them right now. I think of the prophet Jonah who, who God sent. They call him the reluctant prophet because God had to get him to Nineveh through the belly of a great fish. And he preached and God caused the whole city to get saved. And what did Jonah do but get ticked off? He got mad because God saved him because they were so wicked. In the last verse of Jonah, uh, it says, God said, Jonah, why are you more mad about this fig tree than people who are made in God's image? Why do you care more about this plant than you do about people who love me? There are thousands of people in this city that belong to me. And that's what we believe about our nation's capital. Amen. So pray for it. Bless it. And here's the third thing. Engage. Engage. Get involved. Don't complain about what you don't like, but get involved in making things better. It could be in your local PTA. It could be in the local school board. The battle isn't won at the highest level of office. The battle is won or lost and the local government level. So I just want to put that seed in there and plant it to you. Shout amen. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to get right into the Word today. Ephesians chapter 5. You can stay seated. It's okay. You'll get to sit long enough. We'll sit in just a second. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read verse 15 through 17. See, y'all feel like we're in a Catholic church now. Stand up, sit down. Stand up, sit down. I don't have a bell to ring to cue you. Just got to listen to me. Ephesians 5 verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. And here's how we know if you're wise or not. It says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. And then he says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning, and I pray that you'd open our hearts Plant your seeds, the seed of your word, in our hearts deeply so that we might know you in Jesus' name. Now you can shout amen and high-five somebody and sit down. Amen. For just a few moments this morning, I want to talk to you about being moment ready. Will you say that with me? Moment ready. Moment ready. That means ready for every moment that God sends you. Learning how to see and how to seize and how to shape the God moments in your life. God wants us to be and to live in such a way that we are moment ready, that we're ready for anything that he sends to us. 
The Apostle Paul told the church in Ephesus that we just read, he said, be careful how you live. He says, don't just live anyway, but live circumspectly, the King James says. Walk circumspectly. Pay attention to how you live. The Greek word there is the word akribos, where we get the word acrobat from. He says, this is how I want you to live your life. I want you to walk in such a way, behave in such a way, live in such a way that you're like the acrobat who's walking on the tightrope and every step matters. Every way that you keep your balance, you can't be distracted. You have to be focused. Every step with intention, every action, every gesture matters. He said, don't be mindless, don't be foolish, don't be thoughtless, don't just go through the motions. He said, but I want you to, to live skillfully, to live wisely, and, and here's how I know that you're living wise, that you're making the right choices, that you're living carefully, he says, is because you know how to make the most of every opportunity. You know how to seize the God moments in your life. This word opportunity is the Greek word Kairos. It's, it's a divine moment. The, the, the thought here that the Apostle Paul is trying to, to get out is that every single day God sends these special moments, these special opportunities for his will to, to expand, for his purpose to be expressed. And, and if we're not careful, if we're not wise, if we're not intentional, we miss them. But the days are evil. The time is short. There are Big things that God wants to do, but we'll never see them, we'll never seize them, we'll never be able to shape them unless we live in such a way that we're careful, that we're aware, that we have an intensity about us, an urgency about us, that we understand what God's will is. We have 86,400 seconds in every single day that God gives us. When you woke up this morning, you got another 86,400. When you wake up tomorrow, there's another 86,400 seconds that are full of God's purpose and potential, but we'll never understand it, we'll never see it, we'll never unlock it unless we live moment ready. Everybody shout moment ready. The Nobel, Peace, uh, the Nobel Prize winning scientist Daniel Kahneman, he did some, some landmark studies in happiness, but what he he calculated is that of those 86,400 seconds, they comprise about 20,000 minutes or moments, excuse me, 20,000 moments in any given day. A moment he defines as just three or four seconds where your brain becomes aware of what has happened or what is happening. God gives us about 20,000 moments every day that are pregnant with his purpose, opportunities for his will to be established, for his kingdom to be advanced, for your life to be enriched. And Paul is challenging the church at Ephesus, and I want to challenge myself and you today that we need to be moment ready. We need to be ready for those moments as they come. Those 20,000 opportunities every single day that we have to unlock God's purpose in our life. You see, some of us live not intentionally, but we live casually. You know, it's easy just to go through life, just to go through the motions, just to live in a casual way with life on autopilot, just going through the motions, going with the flow. Paul says, don't do that. But then other people, they don't live casually, but they live frantically. Have you ever met someone? You may be that person. 
where they're always busy, they're always frantic, they're always late, they've always got something that they missed and something they're running to, and, and their life is so frantic, they're living at light speed. And if you're cas- too casual, you're going to miss God's moments in your life, but if you're too fast and too frantic, you're going to miss the moments that God sends you. So God doesn't want us to live casually, and He doesn't want us to live frantically, but He wants us to live intentionally, like the acrobat. Every step matters. Being aware, opening our eyes, opening our heart, being moment ready for everything that God sends us, showing up for life as it's happening. See, many times we think of the will of God as some destination. We think that one day then I'll have done the will of God, but that's not true. The will of God is not a destination. It's a journey. The will of God for your life is happening right now. But if you think it's a far off, you're going to miss it while it's happening. And you'll have long been gone and in the grave and missed the will of God because it was happening right before your eyes every single day in 20,000 moments it was happening. And the Apostle Paul says within the minutes of the day, there are these divine moments that God sends us, an encounter with a person, an opportunity to share Jesus, an opportunity to encourage someone, an opportunity to pause and to recognize what God's doing. And he says it's when you collect those moments, when you're ready for those moments, when you seize those moments, you acknowledge them as God's moments, and you do something about it, he says, then you're able to see and understand what God's will is. Somebody shout amen. I love Jesus because he was the master of every moment. I mean, Jesus was never in a hurry. Just read through the Gospels. Jesus was never in a hurry. He was always on time. Somebody said he may not come when you want him, but he's always right on time, right? But he was never frantic. He was never late. He was never casual either, though. He was never stressed. You never find him with anxiety wringing his hands. But yet he did more than anyone else in human history. Now we think, oh, well, if I'm not busy, if I'm not anxious, if I'm not, oh, stacking my calendar, then I can't get stuff done. Jesus got more stuff done than you or I will ever get done. And he was never casual, but he was never hurried. He was never full of anxiety. He was just moment ready for everything that God would send his way. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. I want to read a familiar story and share with you how Jesus lived moment ready, and maybe it's an encouragement for us. Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. As Jesus was saying this, the leader of the synagogue came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died. Now, what we don't see from Matthew that we do see in Mark's account of this story in Luke is that the leader of the synagogue that came to him was a man by the name of Jairus. Everybody shout Jairus. Some people say Jairus. It's not. It's Jairus. Some people say Jairus. It's not. It's Jairus. Everybody say Jairus. <laughs> Who was a leader in the synagogue, and he came to Jesus. And what we don't see also until you read above this passage is that Jesus was actually at a, at a pretty big party. He was having some great dialogue, answering some questions of the Pharisees. He had just said, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. I mean, Jesus was dropping truth bombs. People were wide-eyed. It was a, a pretty big deal. And this guy runs in and interrupts, who is the leader in the synagogue, and he says, my daughter has just died. Now, we know from Luke and from Mark that she actually wasn't dead at this point, but she was dying. 
By the time Jesus gets there, she's dead, but she was dying. And look at what happened. He says, but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hand on her. So Jesus and his disciples got up and went with him, with Jairus. Now think about that. You came for the Jesus meeting. He's dropping truth bombs. Y'all are eating. You're talking. He's ministering. He's healing. It's a great thing. And all of a sudden, some guy interrupts the party, and Jesus doesn't say, I'll talk to you later. But he actually gets up and leaves. And as he is going, it says just then in verse 20, a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him and she touched the fringe of his robe for she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Think about that. Jesus was entertaining a large crew. Somebody interrupted him. He got up, left those people. He's going to deal with a 12-year-old girl who is dying, who is at death's door. And while he's going somewhere else, this lady comes from behind and grabs his cloak and interrupts him again. Verse 22, Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment. Can you imagine? I mean, he's going to save someone else, and now this other woman interrupted, and right there on the spot, she'd been dealing with this issue for 12 years, and she's instantly healed. I mean, at that point, I would start taking up an offering. Okay, I'm just telling you, preacher vulnerability here. I would just like, look at this. Let's, let's take up money for the Jesus ministry here, okay? But what did Jesus do? He blessed her, but then he just went back on his way. He's headed to Jairus' home. And so it says in verse 23, when Jesus arrived at the official's home, he saw the noisy crowd and he heard the funeral music. Get out, he told them. The girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. And the crowd laughed at him. After the crowd was put outside, however, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand and she stood up. And the report of this miracle swept throughout the entire countryside. The whole city was affected because Jesus lived his life ready for any moment. Ready to answer the Pharisees, ready for the interruption of Jairus, ready for the woman who distracted him with the issue of blood, ready to go back and raise the girl from the dead. Never hurried, never late, never casual, but always moment ready. Somebody shout moment ready. So here's how we live moment ready. First of all, we have to invite interruption. Shout invite interruption. We have to learn to see that interruptions are not inconveniences, but they're invitations. I'll say that again because that's good. Interruptions are not inconveniences, but they are invitations to be a part of what God is doing at that moment. See, Moses could have looked at the burning bush as an, as an inconvenience, but he saw it as an invitation to be a part of what God was doing. 
Oh, David had an interruption called Goliath, but it actually was an invitation to step into the fullness of God's destiny for his life. Jonah thought that fish was just an interruption, but it was really an invitation to see God save a city. Mary, the little girl who who the angel appeared to at 12 or 14 years old, thought this is an interruption, but really it was an invitation to bear in her womb the Son of God. Saul, the one who persecuted the church, was knocked off his horse. He was on his way somewhere, but God interrupted his life. But he didn't say this is an inconvenience. It was an invitation for him to not only live as a persecutor of God's church, but God changed his name to Paul and he became a leader and the chief apostle in God's church. Because he saw interruptions as not inconveniences, but as God appointments. Shout God appointments. You know what God appointments are? You see, if I open up my calendar right now, I could show you all next week all the different appointments I have on my iCal. Everybody say iCal. Okay? iCal, iPhone, iPad, not Android. No, I'm just kidding. But you can see all of my appointments, coffee appointments, lunch appointments, study appointments, meetings, doctor's appointments, carpool dad appointments, you know, where you got to carpool and takes people other places. You would see all the appointments on my calendar. But here's what I know. If I serve a God who is sovereign, who owns everything, who controls everything, who orders the steps of the righteous, then that means that there are appointments on my calendar next week that I can't see. Because they're God appointments. They're appointments that I didn't make and I can't orchestrate, but God has set up certain appointments that are God appointments on my calendar. And if I recognize them, if I invite what may seem to be interruption, it might be an invitation by God to a God appointment. Somebody shout amen. Amen. I can miss a doctor's appointment or a coffee appointment, but I can't miss a God appointment. Paul says when you make the most of opportunities, when you live in such a way where you invite interruption into your life and don't see it as an inconvenience, but realize that you're appointed. In fact, Sister Henry was an elder in this church for many, many years, a great friend of mine, Mama Henry. She, she looked at my son when he was young, who just graduated from high school, by the way. Anyway, she looked at him. She said, oh, you know, Sister Henry, she'd Catch the Holy Ghost. She go, ooh. She said, that boy is a nerned and a pernid. <laughs> she was saying, he is anointed and appointed. He's got an anointing on his life, but an anointing without an appointment doesn't do anything. He's saying he's anointed, but God has also stacked his life. God has stacked your life with appointments. And the scripture says that the steps of a righteous man or woman are appointed or ordered of the Lord. But if you just look at it as an interruption, if you just look at it as an inconvenience, you'll miss what God is doing. But if you invite, it has an invitation by God. See, Jesus lived his whole life interrupted. Read through the Gospels. Jesus would be on his way doing something that was pretty significant, and he would be interrupted. And what you thought was great here became greater in the interruption. And then he turned to go somewhere else, and he was interrupted his whole life. I mean, he was teaching one time in in the the pastor's home of that city, and, and all of a sudden, dust started falling from the ceiling and getting in his hair. In fact, some theologians believe it might have even been his own house he was teaching in, and, and the roof started 
falling in. He's like, what's going on? He's, he's teaching like the Son of God himself is teaching. And all of a sudden, this paralyzed man starts being let down from the roof, interrupting Jesus' sermon. That'd be like the, the EMT coming right through here in the, with somebody on a stretcher in the middle of my message today. It was an interruption, but Jesus looked at him and he healed the man. And that interruption was an invitation for the power of God to be displayed. But it was an interruption. Jesus was walking to, a, to an important man's house one time and there was a blind guy named Bartimaeus that called out to him and said, Hey! Jesus turned around. He could have said, what a weirdo, and just kept going. But he looked at him and he said, come down, we're going to your house today. And the blind man was healed because Jesus allowed his life to be interrupted. Even in this story, there's an interruption. Jesus is teaching, he's talking to the Pharisees. All of a sudden, in comes Jairus, interruption. Jesus responds to the interruption, and as he's responding to the interruption, he's interrupted again. Even Jesus' interruptions are interrupted. This woman grabs his clothes, and what did he do? He turned around, and he dealt with her, and he healed her because he was moment ready. He understood that interruptions are really our life. C.S. Lewis, great author, profound theologian in his day, he said this, the truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life. The life God is sending one day by day, what one calls one's real life, is a phantom of one's own imagination. How do you handle interruptions? Could the interruptions not be an inconvenience, but could it be an invitation for a God moment if we'll be ready? Somebody shout, moment ready. Number two. One thing that Jesus did was invite interruptions, but he also, he would pivot for people. Shout, pivot for people. Pivot for people. Look at verse 19. It says, so Jesus and his disciples got up and went with him. He had the interruption. Somebody came and somebody had a need. And Jesus left the masses and he pivoted. He turned for Jairus, for that guy. And then later on, you'll see he's, he's helping Jairus. He's going on the way. And a woman touched him. What did he do? Did he shake her off and said, no, I've got the ruler of the synagogue, woman. I'll get back to you. No, he turned. He pivoted for people. Because Jesus would always pivot for people. In fact, Jesus said, this is what he said. He said, I will build my church. Do you know what that is? That wasn't an institution and it wasn't a program. His church is people. Somebody shout people. See, people are Jesus' purpose. And people have to be our purpose. Not the task, not the program, not what we're trying to do to advance our own agenda. Can somebody help me this morning? People are what's important. And the way that Jesus unlocked the purposes of God for his life is that he acknowledged, he took time for, and he always pivoted for people. People who were really important and very wealthy and people who had nothing and had been bleeding and had a condition for 12 years who had given everything that they had to the doctors with no hope. In fact, Jesus announced his mission and he said in Luke 19, he said, I have come to seek and to save who? The lost. If you're going to be moment ready, you have to be willing to pivot for people. You've got a plan, you've got an agenda, and we all should. But when we're interrupted, we have to turn and look at the person. 
And we have to be willing to surrender our plan for God's person to turn, to change, to pause. Jesus left the party for Jairus. He paused in the crowd for the woman. He cast out the naysayers from the home to raise the girl from the dead. In fact, the scripture says he leaves the 99 and goes after the one. If I had 99 and I only lost one, I would think that's a good odd. But Jesus left the 99 and he pivoted for the one. He told a story about a woman who had 10 coins and she lost one. And she didn't say, well, praise God, I still have nine. She turned the house upside down down looking for the one the guy had two sons and one left him I would say well you know 50 50 right but Jesus always goes after the person and if you're here today and you're wondering if God cares if God sees if God knows let me tell you he does and he will and he will always turn his face from whatever he's doing toward you that's a good place to shout amen Jesus sees people, and I'm so glad he does. He saw me. When I wasn't worthy to be seen, Jesus saw me. And he, he left, the song says, the splendor of heaven. And he came to give his life for us. Who is waiting in your world that needs you to just pivot for them? Not just passing by and, you know, the... the the man or woman at work that's just always got something going on. You're just like, I've got work to do. I've got things to do. I don't need to hear the latest drama. I don't need, I just got, have you ever walked through a supermarket and you see somebody over there and you're just like, oh God, please don't let them see me. <laughs> or somebody interrupts you and you give them a little trite acknowledgement and then you go about your more important things. Jesus never did that. He accomplished more than any of us would ever do. He always fulfilled the will of God. He understood what God's will was because he invited interruption and he always pivoted for people. And then here's the last thing. We have to be present with presence. Say that with me. Present with presence. One more time. Present with presence. When that woman touched his cloak, he didn't say, oh, sweetheart, I'm so sorry. Let me sit down here with you and cry for a little bit about your situation because it's grim. But he healed her. In fact, the scripture says in Mark's gospel that Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? He said, I perceive that power, that virtue, that miracle working, supernatural power has come out of me. Everybody shout me. When she got to Jesus, she got her healing because Jesus was present with presence, with anointing, with power, with something to give. Let me ask you this. When people touch you, what comes out? When people interact with you, what comes out? When people brush up against your life, do they get anger? Does that come out? Or fear? Or doubt? Unbelief? Anxiety? When people rub up against you, do they get haste and hurry and busyness? Or does virtue flow out of your body? He was present with presence. He, he went to that little girl's bedside. And they were all mourning and he told them to get out. He told the family though, he said, don't be afraid. And Jesus could say, don't be afraid, even though their daughter was laying there lifeless because he knew that what was in him was greater than what surrounded him. 
If we're going to live a life that's moment ready, that's full of purpose, we have to carry the presence of God. The scripture says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Pastor Randon preached last week an incredible message where he talked about the power of God. God has already given you the spirit of God. It's not something that you got to wait on. You carry it. Just show up with it. Don't push him. Don't push the Holy Spirit to Sunday. Sunday's for Monday. I'm not preaching to your Sunday. I'm preaching to your Monday. So when you go to work and your boss is having a bad day and you in, and wants to talk and you've got more th- important things to do, you stop, you pause, you invite that interruption, you pivot, and you don't even just say, oh, that's so sad. But you say, can I pray with you? Can I grab your hand and agree with you? Because you know that you've shown up with anointing and with purpose and with presence. Jesus said, the Spirit of God. When Jesus announced who he was in Luke chapter 4, he said, the Spirit of God is upon me because. Everybody shout, because. And then he said, he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and to bind up the brokenhearted. He said, listen, the Spirit is upon me because there's a reason the Holy Spirit is on a life. There's a reason God's touch and God's presence has saved you, has rescued you, has forgiven you, has healed you. It's for a purpose. It's not for you to just enjoy it on yourself, but it's so that you might share it with others all around you. The Apostle Paul said, when you live like this, when you're moment ready, when you look at every opportunity, every person, every one of those 20,000 moments as a potential for God's will to be unlocked, for someone's life to be changed, when you do this, he said, then you're going to know what God's will is, what is good, pleasing, and perfect will. And this is what he said. He said in verse 18, he said, and don't be drunk with wine, which is recklessness. He said, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Will you stand on your feet with me today? Beaumont, what would happen in our city? A city that is surrounded by people who have experienced great loss. What would happen if those of us who have the life of God within us would make a decision today and say, We're going to live moment ready. We're going to welcome God's purpose in every moment. We're going to give ourselves to it. We're going to not just realize our moment, but we're going to say, I'm going to make a moment happen for someone else. Will you bow your heads and let me just pray for you corporately. Leonard Ravenhill, a great evangelist, said, that the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. There's a moment right now. It'll pass. You'll go to eat lunch. But right now, there's a moment for God to move. There's a moment for God to unlock His purpose in your heart. Will you just surrender to that as I pray? Lord Jesus, I pray that you would just begin right now to stir up the gifts of God within us. Holy Spirit, Rest upon us for a purpose. Lord, show us the because. As we go to work on Monday and as we do family and schedule and appointments, let us realize that beyond what's on our calendar, God, you have stacked our lives full of your appointments. Let us see them. Let us seize them and lay hold of them. 
let us shape them for your glory and your purpose. I pray, Father, that you would use the people in this room to be a blessing to this city because we live in such a way that we are moment ready.